Hi, I'm Dennis Hester, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist Church Watauga, and we are grateful that you have tuned in to listen to these messages, either through our podcast or on our website. And as you listen to these, our prayer is that you would hear the Lord speak to you from His Holy Word. If you're interested in learning more about the church, you can get on our website at fbcwatauga.org. From there, there's a place where you can plan a visit, you can learn more about our beliefs. You can also request prayer through the prayer request page. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. The most important thing that I'd communicate to you is as you listen to God's Word, that you find a place to get plugged into a local congregation, whether it's here at First Baptist or another local church where you live. If you'd like information or would like us to help you find a church home, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. And you can contact us through our Facebook page. So God bless you as you listen to His Word, and may the Lord encourage you in your walk. Uh, I want to start out, one of my favorite stories in Scripture uh, is going to illustrate where we are today. We're in Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 12, and we're going to look at 12 through 17. So you can turn there. There's this great story, though, in Luke chapter 5, and, and I just want to share it with you. If you'll, you'll probably remember it. It's the story of a, of a guy who was uh, lame. He'd been uh, laying on a pallet. He was a beggar. And four of his friends, who at least believed that Jesus could do something about it. They believed that there was power in Christ to heal him, decided that they were gonna pick up their friend and they were gonna carry him on that pallet to Jesus, hoping with the belief that Jesus would heal him. And so they, they bring Jesus to where Jesus is speaking. Jesus is speaking in this particular home. The Pharisees and leaders and teachers are in there with Jesus. Crowds are crowded all around the home and so they can't get their friend to Jesus. They can't find a, a way to get to the front door. So what do they do? They take him up on the roof, they dig a hole in the roof, and they lower him down <coughs> in front of Jesus. And, and the scene must have been incredible. Can you imagine the Pharisees when they look up and they, they hear this, this noise on the roof and all of a sudden there's a little bit of a hole and a little bit bigger hole and they're tearing the tiles back on the roof? I, I've always wondered what the Pharisees thought is that debris is kind of falling down on them. I've also wondered what the homeowner thought about what was happening to his house at that point. But what happens then, of course, they, uh, uh, they, they lower his pallet down and lower it down before Jesus. And uh, Jesus looks at him and he, he essentially says, uh, because of your friends, your faith, uh, your friend's faith, essentially, and because of what your friends have done, your sins are forgiven you. The Pharisees get mad at him. They ask him, you know, how can you forgive sins? He's being blasphemous. Actually, they're thinking it. Jesus knows what they're thinking. But here's what I want you to see. First of all, you have these friends who had a belief in Jesus, and they cared enough to do everything they could to get their buddy to Jesus. And then the second thing that happens here that I want you to see is how that, that continues to flow, how that, how that train keeps going. Because what happens is Jesus eventually tells the men, uh, I tell you, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And so immediately, he got up before them, picked up what he'd been laying on, and went home, but he went home glorifying God, telling other people about Jesus. Then everyone was astounded, and they were given glory to God, and they were filled with awe, and said, we have, incredible thing, we have seen incredible things today. One of the things that I see in Scripture is that kind of story repeated over and over and over. Someone has enough faith to come to Christ or to bring their friend to Christ or, or to, to bring a family member to Christ. And Christ 
touches their life and transforms their life. And then what do they do? They go find somebody else and they want to tell somebody else about Jesus, even to the point that it gets them in trouble sometimes. And it just continues on because when, when the Lord truly touches our life and transforms us, we want to take it to someone else. We want to tell somebody else. We want to tell our friends. We want to tell our family. We want to, we, we want to lift someone else up because Jesus has lifted us up. That's the title of the message today. Rise up first and then take others with you. Rise up. Get up on your feet. Even when you're struggling, get up on your feet. But once you do that, find somebody else that you can lift up as well. Hebrews chapter 12. We, we can read the text. Uh, we're going to begin in 12.12. Scripture says, Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that latter, when he wanted to inherit the blessings, he was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find an opportunity for repentance. As we come to this text, uh, first of all, the, the first word in verse 12 is therefore. And what have I taught you? Anytime that you see the word therefore in scripture, what do you ask? Yeah, what is therefore there for, right? Because it always points us back to something else that has been said, something else that has been taught. This, therefore, first of all, points back to the, the passage directly that Kevin taught on last week. Because God has disciplined you because he loves you so much that he has accepted you as a son and he has disciplined you, how ought you respond to that? But I think that the therefore points even a little bit further back than that. That therefore points back to the fact that we have a great cloud of witnesses. In fact, the last time that we saw therefore in Hebrews was in chapter 12, verse 1. And so go all the way back to that. Because we have this great cloud of witnesses that have, have, have given us examples to follow. And the number one out of all of those examples was Jesus and what he did for us. So because of what you've seen from your ancestors who followed God, because of what you've seen in Jesus and his surrendered life before you, because of a God who loves you and has accepted you as a son, even to the point that he'll discipline you. Therefore, strengthen up what's weak. Strengthen your tired hands and your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet. The first thing that you need to do in light of God's loving discipline is get up and do something about it. In fact, let me put it this way. Normally, God has to discipline you where you are weak, right? I, I, I don't, if, if my kids are really, were really great at cleaning their room, which they weren't, but if they were really great at cleaning their room and they were really great at mowing the yard and they were really great at making sure that, that they did everything their mom told them to do, I wouldn't discipline them for that, right? No, you dis, you're disciplined for where you fall short. You're disciplined for the area that you struggle with. You're disciplined for your sin. You're disciplined for your areas of weakness in your life. And so, 
Here the scripture is telling us, as God has lovingly disciplined you, and, and Kevin preached last week, accept and receive the discipline of God. And as you do that, you respond to that by dealing with those weaknesses, right? You respond to that by doing something about it. Understand and strengthen your weaknesses. You know what we like to do as, uh, as humans? We like to major on our strengths. We like to focus on the areas that we're strong. We like to spend time doing the things that, that we're really already good at. But what we don't like to do are work on our weak areas. When I was a kid, I say a kid, when I was in junior high and high school, and, and you know I was uh, like many other kids in Texas, especially in that age, I was going to be a star football player. Now, the only problem was that even you know, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was 130 pounds and six foot tall. The chance of me being a star football player and in a bigger school was not very good. But I, you know, I thought as a junior high kid, man, I'm going to be a star athlete. And so we'd get in the weight room and, and, you know, I could almost bench press about a third of my weight. The coaches kept saying, well, yeah, you know, you, you need to start, you need to bench press your weight at least. I, I, I couldn't bench press anything, but I had really strong legs. I could do squats. I could do uh, deadlifts even. Uh, I could do uh, leg lifts. If you're on the machines, I could do those inverted squats. Man, I, I, could, I could lift as much as the big old, you know, the, the big strong athletes. So what is it that I wanted to do when I went to the weight room? I wanted to work on my legs. But that, that didn't help me, did it? What I needed to be working on was the areas that I'm weak. But what we'll tend to do is we'll tend to want to just keep focusing on areas that we're strong. We need to focus on the areas that we're weak. We need to understand our weaknesses, pay attention to our weaknesses, and strengthen our weaknesses. Strengthen your tired hands, weakened, and your weakened knees. If we don't do that, the enemy will continue to attack us where we're weak. He won't attack us where we're strong. He'll attack us where we're weak. I read an incredible story. I don't have time for the whole story, but I uh, went back and reread some of the history of uh, uh, Texas independence and the Battle of San Jacinto that actually hasn't arrived yet. We'll celebrate that in April. But the Battle of San Jacinto and, and how the, the very small Texas army, and even though they were just... Uh, Santa Ana had only brought a fraction of his force uh, there to San Jacinto... Uh, the, the, the Texans were still vastly outnumbered, at least uh, had 50% of the force of the Mexican army at that point, probably even less than that, probably more like 30%. And yet they made sure that, first of all, they strengthened the areas that they were weak, but then they attacked the Mexican army when it was at its weakest point. They didn't wait and attack the strength. They attacked, they attacked the weakest point. If we don't buttress, strengthen the areas of our weakness... We will fail, we'll be destroyed by the enemy. If you struggle with discipline, you better be working on discipline. If you struggle with alcohol or issues of, 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 of addiction, Satan knows what that area of addiction is and you better find ways to buttress yourself, to prevent that. If you struggle with lust, if you struggle with gossip, whatever it is that your struggle is, you need to find ways and you need to find help to strengthen yourself in those areas. Identify your areas of weakness and strengthen those areas of weakness. And then he goes on to say here, uh, 
I've structured the sermon around a, a couple commands that he gives us here. So strengthen your tired hands and, and weakened knees is the first command. The second command is, comes alongside it very quickly, and he says, make straight paths for your feet. Get your feet pointed the right way. Now, how are you going to get your feet pointed the right way? You're going you're to find direction through the best compass that you can, and that is the Word of God. I read a, a, an incredible story. I'd read the story a long time ago, but that I'd, uh, I'd forgotten it. I, it was back there in my memory somewhere, and I thought, man, I, I need to share that this week. It's, it's a story of a, <clears throat> of a man named Douglas Corrigan. Some of the older folks may remember this story. In the last of the early glory years of the, the Flyers, uh, Douglas Gordon took off from Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn, New York on a flight that would finally win him a place in aviation history. Eleven years earlier, Charles Lindbergh had become the first uh, international solo nonstop flight across the Atlantic. Corrigan was one of Lindbergh's mechanics. And apparently Corrigan was always a little bit jealous that he didn't get to go on that flight. So several years later, <clears throat> he went to the scrap heap and bought a junked aircraft and rebuilt it and modified it for long-distance flight. So in July of 1938, Corrigan piloted his single-engine plane nonstop from California to New York. Although he flew at transcontinental flight, and many of those had been done before, that wasn't any big deal, he got a lot of a national attention because of the rattle trap that he was flying in. He was flying a piece of junk and people saw that, and so he got a lot of attention for it. He survived his journey in that thing. Almost immediately after he arrived in New York, he filed flight plans to fly across the Atlantic. People came out, looked at his plane, and promptly denied his flight plans. Instead, they told him that he could fly back to the West Coast... So he relented on July the 17th. He took off from Floyd Bennett Field, pointed his plane west, and a couple minutes later made a 180-degree turn, vanished into the cloud bank to the puzzlement of the onlookers. 28 hours later, he landed that plane in Dublin, Ireland. Stepped out of the plane and he exclaimed, just got in from New York, where am I? He claimed that he lost direction in the clouds and his compass had malfunctioned. Obviously, the authorities didn't buy the story. They suspended his license. Corrigan stuck to it. He kept saying it over and over, telling that he'd gotten lost. And so eventually, uh, his plane was loaded up onto a, a ship, sent back to New York. In the meantime, the press had a ball with Corrigan's story, and he gained the name of Wrong Way Corrigan. Now, some of you have heard that name. The truth is, he knew where he was going. His compass was working just fine. He just simply pointed that compass to Ireland, even though the clouds were there, and followed his compass till he got to his, his destination. Now, ultimately, he knew which way he wanted to go, regardless of what everybody else around him was telling him. The whole world was telling him, you can't do that. 
The world was telling him, you can't make it in that rattle trap. The world was telling him that, that, that's, that that's not a wise plan. The world was telling him, uh, you better go back the other way. You better go back the way you came. But Corrigan had a plan and he had a dream and he set his compass on that and he followed that dream. We live in a world now that tells us that our faith in Christ is the wrong way. That we need to turn back. That we need to settle down. That, that, that we're worshiping something that is unexplainable, unimaginable, that doesn't make sense. That we are worshiping a God who isn't there. But I'm here to tell you that his word is our compass. And if we will set our path according to his way, we will continue to walk toward God and we will arrive where he's called us to go. The world may tell you that you're going the wrong way, but if you're pointed toward Jesus, you're headed the right direction. Point your feet, establish your path toward Jesus. And then third, Pursue holiness. He picks up on that where he tells us, pursue peace with everyone else and holiness. Make straight the paths of your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated and healed. Pursue peace with everyone and pursue holiness. In this text, I've divided it logically into two sections. The first section is this, lift up yourself. The second section then is how we're gonna relate to others. Pursuing holiness overlaps to some extent because when you pursue holiness, you, you seek to walk with Christ a holy, godly life, that's gonna impact everything that you do with everyone else. So logically, it makes sense to me even that in this text, it overlaps. As you're pursuing your relationship with others, you're pursuing holiness with Christ. So three areas that we need to deal with as we deal with ourselves first is understand our weaknesses and strengthen our weaknesses. Second, get our feet pointed the right way. Point them toward Christ. And then third, pursue holiness. If there are things in your life that are not honoring to God, flee from them and pursue Christ. Here's one of the struggles for all of us though. No matter how hard I try, I find it impossible to live a holy life. The Apostle Paul identified with my struggle to the extent that in Romans chapter seven, even after he says, flee from sin, you've been set free from sin. In Romans chapter seven, he says, but I still struggle and, and why do I, do I do the things that I don't wanna do and why don't I do the things that I wanna do? Why do I still struggle with sin? And then he's reminded when he gets to the end of chapter seven and the beginning of, of chapter eight, he says, but, but praise be to God through Christ Jesus who has delivered me from sin. See, the only hope that we have of overcoming our weaknesses and truly walking in holiness is when we walk in a relationship with Christ. It is through him that the spirit empowers us so that we can overcome those struggles and those battles. So it's not on us necessarily just to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not all on me to point myself the right direction and to make sure that I'm following all of the rules of Christianity. In fact, that's really not what Christianity is all about. Hebrews chapters one through 10 have emphasized the fact that it is Christ who matters, that we point ourselves toward Christ. And so when we're pursuing holiness, we're pursuing Christ. The only way that I could ever be cleansed of my sin 
and made holy in the first place was by putting my faith and trust in the blood of Christ. It is only when I come to a place where I say, Lord, I've tried, I can't make it, I can't do it. I need you to forgive me, I need you to cleanse me. And he tells us over and over in Hebrews that our righteousness comes from Christ as we're washed by the blood of Christ. So when we surrender and submit ourselves to Christ, he makes us holy. But then, we're, we begin this walk with Christ. We're baptized. We start on this journey. And someone starts whispering in your ear. It wasn't just whispering for me. I had people telling me right up front. All right, now that you're a Christian, you can't do this, 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 and this. I thought, wait a minute. I didn't know there was a list. There's a list of what I can do and a list of what I can't do. Where's that? I don't see that. But hey, if good Baptists were telling me there's a list, there must be a list. And those lists vary a little bit. I remember when I was doing some research when I first got to First Baptist Church May. First Baptist May was the first uh, site, the, the site of the first ever Brown County Baptist Association and one of the, the resolutions that was brought, and this was back in 1907, one of the resolutions that was brought there was, uh, be it resolved that we as a Baptist church in Brown County stand against baseball on Sundays. Now, I'm against baseball on Sundays at two in the afternoon when there's no air conditioning, <laughs> but that's about it. They had all kinds of rules that I was supposed to follow. But you know what? Scripture had already told me that following the rules, no matter how good I did at following the rules, I would never be righteous. Because my righteousness, my holiness would only come from the blood of Christ in the first place. Well, if I can only be saved and be made righteous by the blood of Christ, why in the world do we think that we can now try real hard in our own strength and live a Christian life. And so Paul, when he writes about this to the Galatian church, in Galatians chapter three, he says, you're fools. You're foolish to believe that, that you can live the Christian life like that by following the rules and the regulations, by keeping the laws. And he asked a rhetorical question. How was it you were saved in the first place? By faith, in Christ. That's how you're saved in the first place. That's how you you're made holy in the first place. So how am I going to walk in holiness? By faith in Christ. That's my hope of holiness. So pursue holiness. So the writer of Hebrews is telling us here that in light of what God's doing in your life, in light of the discipline, and in light of the love, and in light of all that God's done for you, strengthen yourself. Stand up. Find your weaknesses and deal with those weaknesses. Set your path straight and pursue holiness. Then pursue peace with everyone. So the second half of this focus is deal with others. Walk in the right relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pursue peace with everyone. I, I love the way he approached that. He's, he's gonna tell us about helping others with other issues here in a little bit. But he begins here, once you've dealt with your stuff, then reach out to others and begin by pursuing peace. Well, what if they were mean to me? Pursue peace. Well, what if what they're doing is wrong? Pursue peace. Well, what if they're sinners and they hurt me? 
Pursue peace. Pursue peace. Whatever you do, do it out of love. Pursue peace with who? Those people that you like? Those people that are in your same political party? Pursue peace with those people who have sense? Who aren't knuckleheads? The problem for me with this text is the writer of Hebrews says, pursue peace with everyone. Now, I don't believe that means that I've got to pursue deep, intimate relationships with everyone. But that text does say that I ought to pursue peace with everyone. Let me tell you, if, if folks on social media could grab a hold of this concept, we live in a whole lot more peaceful life. If Baptists, Christians, pastors, denomination leaders on social media could get a hold of this concept, we'd have a whole lot better image before a lost and dying world than what we present. We spend so much time pursuing the battles with everyone instead of pursuing peace with everyone that we do damage to the name of Christ. See, what, what we tend to do, and I'll be real honest, I don't know that I've ever had somebody come up to me and say, hey, pastor, uh, what do we in the Methodist have in common? Or, you know, what, what do we have in common with charismatic people? That's not the question you get. The question you get is, where are we different? What separates us? It's as though we're always looking for that distinguishing mark. And far too often what we do then is we take that distinguishing mark and we make it an argument so that we can prove how we're right. The bottom line is that we ought to be looking to come together in Christ and find out where we're on the same path. You want to see a good picture of that? Look at our back to school rally and how that committee works. You've got a wide range of, of, of beliefs there, but they all believe in Jesus. And he is what matters most. Pursue peace with everyone. If you look for what you have in common, you have a starting point. If you're always looking for where you're separate, where you're different, you're automatically going to head different directions. Now, this is true, and it matters in every relationship in your life. You and your boss may not agree on everything, but if you have a common goal that you can work toward, there'll be peace, right? Let me give you two pieces of advice that, that, that come from Scripture, but not necessarily directly out of this text. How then are we going to pursue peace with everyone? First, approach everyone with humility. What if I'm right? You still might be wrong. Hear that. What if I'm absolutely confidently sure that I'm right? Sometimes when I was confident that I was right, I was still wrong. Sometimes I misread people. Sometimes I misheard people. So approach everyone with humility. Humble ourselves. 
when you come in, in, in any relationship, especially if there's disagreement, humble yourself. I had a discussion with somebody the other day about this. You know, in, in a lot of times, especially we, this was specifically related to, to marriage counseling, a lot of times in our, our relationships with our spouses, we disagree on things. And, and when, when, when it gets to a point where someone's coming to a pastor or coming to a counselor, usually it's because there's, there's significant friction. And more often than not, I, I, I begin with the, with the thought process that this is probably 50-50. No one is ever completely right, and no one is ever completely wrong in a relationship. I'm not, I probably shouldn't use the word ever because that's an absolute, but, but it is rare that it's going to be all the way on one end of the spectrum to the other. More often than not, it's 60, 40, 70, 30, somewhere in there. There's something I could do better in showing love to my spouse even when I'm right and she's wrong, which is most of the time. <laughs> but rarely... Rarely is it ever 100Z. In fact, I, I, I don't know that it ever is because none of us are perfect. So the, but there, there's times where, hey, I may be 98% in the right and she's 98% wrong. But you know what God holds me responsible for? You know what God holds me responsible for? My 2%, where I'm wrong Instead of beating the drum of where we think we're right, if we'll humble ourselves and recognize, you know, there's something I need to work on. And so that means when you come to apologize, you don't say, "Hun, I'm sorry that I said so-and-so, but if you wouldn't have, you don't say that. You take responsibility for your part. And you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to and deal with that other person. Because when, you have, when you're wrong in your part, you're not in a position to deal with that other person. So you come humbly, humbly. Recognize that even when you think that you're absolutely right, you're probably not. So if you'll humble yourself, you put yourself in a better position. When I look at this in the big picture, in reality, this whole text kind of reminds me of... Uh, Jesus' command that, you know, if you see the, the speck in your brother's eye, you see the splinter in his eye, don't go deal with that splinter in his eye until first you get the log out of yours. So first of all, deal with your weaknesses. Set your path straight. You pursue holiness. And when you're in a position where you're, you've dealt with your weaknesses, you're walking in a relationship with the Lord, you're pursuing Christ with all of your heart, then allow God to use you to lift others up. That doesn't mean that you never do it. It means that you have responsibility to lift others up after you've dealt with yourself. But, but you come humbly. And the truth is, once we've recognized that we are weak, that we're broken, that we need Jesus for, for his righteousness, that we are nothing without him, it's a whole lot easier to come humbly. Because we're not coming in our goodness, we're coming in his. We're not, we're not coming because we were righteous. We're coming understanding that we're broken. And Jesus is righteous, and our only hope was found in him. So then we come humbly. We approach others with humility, and second, approach with mercy. Approach with humility, but approach with mercy. You know what I want when I've messed up and I have to ask for forgiveness? I don't want justice. I want mercy. Don't we? The problem is we want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else. 
if God has shown me mercy for all of my sin, then I ought to approach others with mercy. My wife has shown me mercy many times. I pray she shows me mercy after the sermon today. <laughs> she often shows me mercy and grace. If I want mercy from her, when she does make a mistake, which honestly, y'all know our relationship. Y'all know who messes up most. <laughs> if she does make that rare mistake, I need to show her mercy, right? Right? Approach others with humility and approach others with mercy. If you'll simply come with humility and come with mercy on your mind and on your heart, you'll find peace. If you come with arrogance and you come demanding justice, you're going to find a battle. Pursue peace. And then he expands it here. Because we do have a responsibility with our brothers and sisters in Christ in particular who we walk in a, in a family relationship with to help them when they're really struggling in areas of their life. And so he tells us, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and defiling many. Make sure that there isn't any morality or there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. So in your relationships with those whom you love most, your brothers and sisters in Christ, make sure that they don't fall through the cracks. If you see a brother in sin, we have a responsibility to lift them up. It's not just sin. If you see a brother who is struggling with their faith, you and I have a responsibility to lift them up. If you see a brother who is hurting because they're going through, through difficult circumstances, you and I have a responsibility. Once, once we've weakened or strengthened our weak knees, we have a responsibility to reach out to our brothers and lift them up. Don't let them slip through the cracks. Don't let them fall and stay down. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. Tell them about the grace of God. Show them the grace of God. Take the grace of God to them in your presence and in your prayer. Lift them up with God's grace. If they're lost, point them to God's grace. If they don't know Jesus, tell them about a God who loved them so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so that they could have everlasting life. That no matter what they faced in this world, no matter how difficult the battles, no matter how hard the struggles, no matter how gloom the prognosis, that there's hope because Christ died and rose again that they could have everlasting life. Tell them about the grace of God that saves their soul for all of eternity. But tell those that are saved about the grace of God. Remind them of his holiness and of his mercy. Remind them that God is a father who loves them. And, and, one, and certainly, yes, he disciplines, but he also wants to wrap his arms around them and lift them up. Remind them of the grace of God, but don't let them stay down until they become bitter. And find that it's too late to, to stand back up. We have a responsibility. Once we've dealt with ourselves, strengthened our weak areas, 
set our, our path straight to follow Christ and are pursuing him, we have a responsibility to lift up those around us, to pursue peace with them in humility, but also to point them to the grace of God that they might find the same strength that we find. It's in his grace that I find hope. It's in his grace that I find holiness. It's in his grace that I find peace. I met with one of our church members Thursday. She had called the office and, and uh, had uh, made the plans for her funeral. Many of you know Marsha Bunn. Marsha Bunn has uh, started attending church here a little bit before I did and uh, came to know Christ, was baptized. Her husband passed away about eight or nine years ago and uh, he was the healthy one. Marsha's battled with a lung disease for about 25 years and that lung disease has finally fully taken its toll. She is bed fast and she's been placed on hospice and uh, she told me uh, over the phone when I called her, she said, Pastor, I want you to come see me but I want you to know this is not gonna be a hard visit <laughs> and I could hear in her voice it wasn't gonna be. I went by her home and sat down with her and, and uh, talked to her about the plans that she'd made. But I want to tell you, uh, she is absolutely at peace and resting in the grace of God, knowing that she may, doesn't have many days left, and she doesn't know how many. She's not on the, the kind of essentially hospice care where it says you're, you're going to die in a few days, but she's at a place where there's really nothing else they can do for a lung disease, and so they're just going to... She has a DNR, and they're just kind of going to keep her comfortable. But all you have to do is walk in her home, and both her and her sister, if, if you know Georgianne, are, uh, there's a light that is shining out that is, it is so evident because it's, it's not rooted in, in her goodness. It's rooted in, in the presence and the grace and the glory and the holiness of Christ. That only comes through walking in that relationship with Jesus. My prayer is, for me, my, for my family, for my church family, that we all find that kind of peace that even when we face the greatest sense of unknown, when she takes her last breath on this earth, that we have such a peace with God, such a, such a sense of his presence, that there is not even a smidgen of fear in her eyes or in her voice. There's a joy and there's an excitement that she's ready to meet Jesus face to face. Are you there? Are you at that place where, where, where you have such a peace? You've been pursuing Christ to such an extent that if he were to take you home today that you'd have that kind of peace? Here's the second question, the follow-up to that though. What about your kids or your grandkids or your close family? Do they need you to show them the grace of God? To tell them about the grace of God so that they can get to that place and find that peace? We're responsible in our relationship with the Lord to deal with ourselves first. But we also have a responsibility to reach out to our brothers and sisters and point them to the grace of God. 